Amen and good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, last Sunday, while Susie was preaching, um, which, by the way, if you have not listened to it yet, you should go listen to it. I mean, not right this second, but maybe later this afternoon. Uh, she took us swimming in some deep waters on the issue of suffering. Uh, and while she was doing that, I was actually uh, able to preach at Tyre Church over in Lebanon. Um, and I wish I could take all of you with me to that place, and I wish I could bring all of them here because you would love this community of faith in Tyre, Lebanon. Um, I was over there delivering uh, the money that we all raised and donated for the ministry over there. And with that money, they are standing up a hospital that is about halfway between Tyre and the border of Israel in the Shiite region. Uh, it is underway, and they expect it, uh, that, like it's in progress right now, they expect it to be uh, open for business at least a couple floors in the next two months. Uh, you see Mohammed there standing with his engineer. He is, uh, Mohammed has employed um, dozens of Muslim uh, construction workers who otherwise would not have jobs, uh, but now they have this opportunity to help create this place that is going to be just such a benefit for their community. Um, so thank you for your generosity, for the ways that you are investing in the kingdom. God is on the move all over the world, and it's just such a privilege always to be a part of that. If you want to hear more about this or the other projects that we invested in this, this winter and are continuing to invest in, next Sunday there's a special Zoom call at 1 p.m. after church. Uh, the login information and all that sort of stuff is online. You can get it there. But Muhammad will be there. The folks from Exodus Road, Pando Collective, some of the local stuff we're doing that you will get to hear from all of those folks over the course of about an hour or so um, and hear updates on all that stuff. So th just thank you and tune in to that. We're excited to tell you what's happening. Today... We're going to wrap up our series in the book of First Peter, in Peter's first letter. And remember, what we've said about Peter is he is a guy who has this strong story at work in his life. Peter was an assertive person. He believed certain things very strongly. Jesus came along and forever changed his story. And now Peter's trying to help us uh, with the same thing, helping us to understand the real story we're a part of, which he says we are exiles, we are sojourners, we have been sent to the places that we live, they are not our country, but we have been sent to them to win people over to the gospel with our good deeds. Peter says that's your real story, despite what you may think. That's the story we're caught up in. That's the story they're living out in Tyre. That's the story that we're living out here in Colorado Springs. And now at the end of this letter, he's addressed a lot of different things. Peter is going to address three things as he wraps up here. He's going to address leadership, humility, and the devil, which I thought would just be the perfect Valentine's Day sermon. So you're welcome. Um, let me start with an observation about Christianity, about this movement, this thing that we call Christianity, that we are a part of, it has made some major mistakes through the years. Is that true? Like, I don't want to take anything away from the good. There's been obviously amazing good done through the movement of Christianity, but we also have to acknowledge that there have been some missteps. Like, we know this, right? Like, like big things, 
like just outside of Tyre, there is a castle that was built by Christian crusaders so that they could efficiently travel to the Holy Land to kill everybody there, right? That was a misstep. We've done some stuff. We've oppressed some people. We've started some wars. I don't mean like you and I have done those things, but I just mean that Christians, people in the last 2,000 years who follow the same guy that we follow have done some things that are not good. Not only that, I realize that uh, most of us didn't participate in the Crusades. Well, virtually all of us did not participate in the Crusades. Um, But I know this is true. Many of us have experienced the downside of Christianity. Uh, I hear stories all the time from people in our community who have been deeply wounded by their participation in this thing we call church. And while, you know, certainly that does not rise to the level of genocide, it certainly matters. It is a misstep all the same. Here's my question this morning. What do all of those missteps have in common? All of those mistakes, when, when Christianity goes bad, when this movement called Christianity becomes destructive in people's life, what is always true in those moments? Bad leadership. I would suggest bad leadership. And sometimes it is as catastrophic as let's march to the Holy Land and kill everyone we find. And other times it could be just as simple as a spiritual leader saying something that is abusive, like shame on you for struggling with that problem. But whenever Christianity becomes destructive, there is always bad leadership behind it. And some of us have been deeply wounded by bad leaders that we've trusted. And sometimes our world has been deeply scarred by bad Christian leaders. Now, the good news uh, is that the gospel is not just about getting us to heaven one day, but it's actually about God redeeming each and everything on this earth, including leadership. Peter knows this is true because Jesus himself was the person who redeemed leadership in Peter's life and made him the leader that he is. Now with his final words in this letter, he is going to set out to do the same for a group of leaders who are leading the churches that he was writing to. And he's going to tell these church leaders, let me tell you the true story of leadership, which you are caught up in as a spiritual leader. So this morning, find your way to 1 Peter 5, and I want us to just think a little bit about spiritual leadership. Um, And while we're at it, I'll talk a little bit about how we're leading here at Pulper Rock, what we're trying to do and that sort of thing. But we need to understand what it is, what it isn't, and what God wants it to be. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Pause right there. Now, before we get to what he's going to say, I just want to note something. This is the only Bible passage that directly addresses a group of elders. There's a story about it kind of over in Acts, and there's a few passages that talk about qualifications for an elder, Uh, but this is written specifically to a group of elders from Peter who says, I also am an elder. So what is an elder is the legitimate question at this point. 
The short version is this. Elders are just leaders in a local community of faith. Uh, Peter uses the word presbyterios to describe it. And different churches might call them different things. We use the word elder here at Pulpit Rock. We like that word. Uh, and that's what Peter calls them. If you go to our website, incidentally, you can see all of our elders there. You can communicate with all of our elders on the website. In fact, we just added our newest elder, Corey LaPlante, who's one of my favorite people on the planet. I just love Corey so much. And he just joined the elder board. Now, elders are not the only leaders that we have at Pulpit Rock, nor are they the most important leaders. We believe actually that every leader is important, and we have pastors, staff, volunteer leaders. Every area has people who are leaders, and all of those leaders are very important. Elders just serve in a unique, specific function in our church. And uh, part of the function is this, because we're a nonprofit in the U.S., uh, you have to have a board of directors, and they serve as that governing board for the nonprofit that is Pulpit Rock Church, which, uh, you know, may not sound super exciting to you unless you like budgets and policy manuals and all that sort of stuff, but it's really important legally. That's not what Peter's going to talk about here. He's not talking about like that sort of a function of leading an organization, and the Bible doesn't really address that very much. What Peter is going to address is the spiritual leadership that elders have been entrusted with. That is their primary function in a faith community. And he's going to say, listen, there is a specific sort of story that you need to be stepping into if you are a spiritual leader. Now, I realize that you may not be an elder, but if you have any leadership in your life, if you have any spiritual influence on another person, these principles are going to apply to you. And also, if you're part of a community like Pulpit Rock that has leaders in different areas and in different roles, you need to know this stuff too so that you can discern the difference between good leadership and bad leadership. So what is spiritual leadership all about? That is what Peter is about to say to us. And he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Here's what he exhorts them. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Pause right there. There's a lot in that sentence. A couple of observations. What is the primary, in a word, what is the primary thing that spiritual leaders are supposed to do? Shepherd, right? That's the word he uses. And who are they supposed to shepherd? The flock, all right? So he is going to define this role of spiritual leadership with a metaphor. And the metaphor is shepherding sheep. Why would he use that? is the definition for spiritual leadership. You know, shepherds were not super well thought of in Peter's day. They were mostly poor, mostly uneducated, hired hands who spent more time around animals than people. Like, is he taking a shot at spiritual leaders here? Is that what he's doing? No, I actually think the, the reason for the metaphor, and Peter uses it here, other writers use it in the Bible too, is tied up in the last two words. Shepherd the flock of God. And I think when the metaphor is used biblically, and the reason that Peter is using it here is because he's trying to point out this truth that shepherds are caretakers of sheep that belong to someone else. And when Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, what he's trying to say to everyone who leads others is, these people don't belong to you. They belong to God. 
Shepherds almost never owned the sheep that they watched over. They were hired hands. And healthy spiritual leaders approach it that way. The sort of leaders that are worth following approach leadership as, I am caring for people who fundamentally belong to God, not me. That's, what they, that's how they approach it. Let me personalize this for a second. You people whom I love, I love you people but you belong to God. You do not belong to me. And as a spiritual leader in this community, my job is not to get you to think like me, to get you to agree with me, to get you to do all the things that I think you should do. That is not the job. The job is to care for you in ways that reflect the God who ransomed you with his very life. That's the job. The job is not to build a great organization. The job is not to form well-crafted opinions about issues. The job is not to gather a lot of followers or accomplish a lot of goals. Spiritual leadership is about developing and caring for people. It is about helping people be formed in ways that reflect the God that they belong to. So we resemble Jesus. And when spiritual leaders, when they manipulate people, when they control people, when they neglect people, when they fail to challenge people to step into who God created them to be, when they fail to call them to the kingdom of God, they're not doing the job. And I think one of the things that all of those bad leadership examples have in common is at its core, bad leadership treats people like they belong to the leader instead of like they belong to God. Good spiritual leadership frees people to discover the God that we belong to. Now, that's the starting place. That's where it all flows from. That's where Peter begins. But then he continues. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So pause there. Notice he says two things, spiritual leadership. First, it's not something you should say yes to because it's your duty, like I should do this, nor is it something you should say yes to, he says, because you think you're going to get something out of it, not for shameful gain, he says. And I don't think he's just talking about financially. Typically, uh, you know, spiritual leadership, there's not a lot of money in spiritual leadership. Um, but you know what there is a lot of in spiritual leadership? There's a lot of microphones you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of ways to get respect and admiration from people if that's what you're after in spiritual leadership. Peter says that's not to be what you're after. You know, I, do you know what's true? I'll be honest with you for a second. Do you know what's true of every pastor you've ever met or ever will meet? Are you ready? I'm going to, I'll tell you the truth here. All of us, every last one of us, we said yes to this job for some prideful reasons. It's true. We said yes to this job because of things that we wanted to gain. It's true. Pride is in all of us. Like we know this, and every pastor I have ever met has this prideful desire to be the helper, to be in that role. Now, I'll be honest with you, when you look at people who do this role, um, 
you know, people who have said yes to the idea of having a microphone and a few hundred people sit quietly while we tell them about what's true of the, the God of the universe. Uh, when you look at people who have said yes to that sort of a role, you need to know there are only two types of pastors out there. There are pastors who acknowledge that pride, who say, honestly, my motives are mixed. There's a huge selfish streak in me. I tend to make things about me and God has to break me of that. There are those who acknowledge that pride and there are those who are still pretending they're pure. There is no third option in spiritual leadership. And I'm not telling you that to undermine your confidence in the spiritual leaders that you've had. I'm telling you that so that you'll know the difference between good leadership and bad leadership. I'm telling you that uh, because good spiritual leaders will always be honest about their pride. Bad ones won't. And Peter is saying, listen, this is an issue. This is a warning, not for shameful gain. Good spiritual leaders read that and they say, gosh, I need to hear that. I need God to break me of that part of me that desires whatever out of this role. You know what I've noticed? Um, I've met a lot of leaders in my life, um, good ones and bad ones. Everyone who sets out to lead others by God's grace, and it is grace, eventually will hit a wall that they have created because of their own selfish pride. That is true. God puts moments in our life where we fail, where we come to the end of ourselves as a person and as a leader, and those moments are a gift if we will receive it. And not every leader does. But God will use those moments to strip away things that need to be stripped away, to reveal pride that needs to be revealed. And I think ultimately every human needs to go through that. But spiritual leaders, that moment of hitting the wall is the only way to become a good spiritual leader. You have to hit the wall. You have to stare your sin and your selfishness and your desire for gain in the face and let God break you of it and bring humility around those selfish motives. Uh, you know, years ago at Pulpit Rock, um, I was still in the executive pastor role at this point, um, but we had a meeting where we sat down and we said, listen, we will never again hire a leader who shepherds other people who doesn't have a story of hitting the wall. And the reason why is not because we delight in people's humility, but because it is a dangerous spiritual leader who does not live with an awareness of their own selfishness and pride and how it can hurt others. And a leader who doesn't know that, who's not open to talking about it, those are the sort of leaders who hurt people. Incidentally, um, you know, I know I lead here, but I, you know, I also attend here. Um, I'm in charge, you know, but I also, I submit to the elders, I submit to the other pastors. I sit under their teaching. I let them shape my spiritual life. Do you know why I do that? Do you know why I trust them? Because I know their stories. I could tell you their stories. They have all hit the wall at times. There's no one leading here because they are infatuated with the idea of having a microphone. They lead with willingness and eagerness to connect us to Jesus, even when it's hard, even when we're ungrateful, even when we're frustrating. And they don't lead out of that desire to control us or that insecure desire for respect. Peter says, that's how good spiritual leaders lead. And he's not quite done. He's, he's got a couple more things to say. Look at verse three. He says, good spiritual leaders 
should be not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pause right there. You know, this is maybe just an observation, but I think it needs to be said, especially in the leadership culture that exists in our country. Uh, good spiritual leaders, they carry themselves with kindness. Good spiritual leaders are not hard on the people that they lead. They are not domineering. Their lives are worth emulating. Let me just maybe address one thing about this that I think needs to be said. Um, like I know, I, I've read the Bible too. I know there are moments where Jesus seems really aggressive and confrontational in the Gospels. Um, in all of those examples, we could lump them all together, and, and you look at any of those moments where Jesus seems confrontational, notice that he is being confrontational to the people who have been entrusted with leading the religion that is ultimately about him. Does that make sense? So he confronts the teachers of the law who are teaching people about God, Jesus is God. He can, you know, he overturns the tables in the temple that was built so people could worship God, Jesus is God. It's stuff like that. Outside of those interactions with the religious leaders who were blowing it, Jesus is incredibly kind-hearted and incredibly gracious to sinners, to Gentiles, to Romans, to everyone. And the reason I bring this up is because I think there are some spiritual leaders in our world and in our country, there are some people who are my peers as pastors who look at Jesus being aggressive with the Pharisees and they assume, well, because he did it, I get to do it. I'm just being like him. And I think it's worth us saying as their brothers and sisters, yeah, but you're not him, right? You're not him. There's a big difference. You're not even one of the apostles or prophets, right? We as leaders today, we are way, way, way down the line in the chain of leadership, and that warrants a little bit of humility on our part. Peter's saying good spiritual leaders... Peter, a guy who walked with Jesus, is saying, good spiritual leaders, take it easy on people. They're not domineering. They don't run over people. And I say that to you, in total honesty, I, like I say that to you as someone who's in progress on this. I'll be totally honest with you. This is sometimes a struggle for me. If you know me well, if you've led with me, uh, you know sometimes I can be a little bit much. Um, it's true. I can, like, th this is one of my problems I have. Is that sometimes I get so fixated on an idea that I'll stop seeing people, right? And I'll kind of tend to be domineering and run over a person because I'm so fixated on an idea. That's one of my weaknesses. And what you need to know is when I do that as a leader, every single time in this community, when I do that, it is sin. Like, it doesn't matter that I'm a pastor and I'm right. Like, that doesn't matter. It's still sin, uh, you know, being theologically accurate doesn't make the sin of domineering okay, right? It's not a justification. I'm right. And it disturbs me, and it increasingly disturbs me as I get older to see Christian spiritual leaders who lead in domineering ways, and, and they stand behind them. Hey, I'm just standing on the truth of God's Word. That's all I'm doing, just standing up for the Bible. And it's like, no, you're not, frankly, because if you were, you would stand on the truth of 1 Peter 5.3, be not domineering. Healthy spiritual leaders shepherd others with kindness, Peter says. And when they don't, because they're not perfect, when they make that mistake, they call it sin. They confess it as the weakness that it is instead of defending it like they are the sinless Jesus overturning tables in the temple. 
Peter, who knew Jesus personally, said, leaders, don't be like that. And I think he would say, if you have the option, it's okay to not entrust yourself to a domineering leader. He ends with this last reminder for elders. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd, he's pointing out this, listen, you, you shepherds, you're just here for a little while, right? This church thing, it is his deal. He's coming. You're just helping for a time. It's good stuff when it comes to leadership. Um, how did Peter know all this stuff? He has some good insight on spiritual leadership. Where did it come from? Well, remember, there was a time in Peter's life where he said yes to, to leadership. He said yes to following Jesus. And it sure does seem, if you read the Gospels, like he did that because he wanted some of the respect that came from the role, right? Like he was doing it to gain something. That's why he's speaking against that mindset. And he was a little bit domineering. And you can read about that all over the Gospels. Read Matthew 16, where he pulls Jesus aside and he says, Jesus, your plan stinks. You need to stop talking like this. A little domineering, right? Or read John 18, where he pulls out a sword to murder someone because the person was threatening his leadership, right? Jesus was constantly correcting him, saying, Peter, no, 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 that's not how this thing works. It's not about controlling people. It's not about getting people to respect you. That's not it. And as you would expect, Peter hits the wall, like every leader. And he has the worst moment in his life where he makes the biggest mistake and he denies Jesus and he runs away ashamed. And do you remember what happens? Jesus dies and he rises from the dead. And then Jesus goes and he finds him. And he meets him on the speech and he asks him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, you know, hurt, but also ashamed and humiliated is like, you know that I do. Yes, I really do. And, and Jesus says, now feed my sheep. And he gives them this metaphor that would define Peter's life of being a shepherd of the people who belonged to his savior, Jesus. And it's as if Jesus says, listen, now that you see all that pride and selfishness within you, now that you see that for what it is, now embrace the story of shepherding others, people who belong to me. I want to tell you something. If you aspire to leadership, that is a good thing. I mean, don't lie to yourself and tell yourself that you want to be a leader just for noble reasons, like see the pride in you. But it is a good thing to aspire to leadership. But just know this is the journey that God has from you. This journey that Peter had, this journey that all of us as leaders have, this is the journey of good leadership. And it is a journey of brokenness and humility. And it is necessary so that you can care for people who belong to God. Now, the last thing Peter says on the subject of leadership is actually addressed to people who are not leaders. He says, Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And what he's saying is basically, hey, if you find someone like this, listen to them. Allow them to influence you in healthy ways. All of us need people like that, people who are kind-hearted, people who have a story of God breaking them and redeeming their selfishness, people who treat us like we belong to God. 
And I don't just mean people with a, a title like pastor or elder. I mean, like, we need that too. But anyone who embodies that, I think Peter's saying, let those people be those who influence you. And then he, he changes subjects a little bit, but he, he touches on two things that are intensely related to this leadership conversation. Look at what he says. He says, uh, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen, whether you're a leader or not, humility is central to the work that God wants to do in our lives as believers. Um, it's doubly true if you're a leader. God's agenda for you, like his picture of the future that he wants for you, is that you would become a humbler version of yourself. That's the journey we're all on. And after Peter says that, he says this. It's a warning. Uh, verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, I'm not going to unpack like the whole concept of spiritual warfare in the last few minutes here, but I just do want to make an observation about the devil. Uh, do you remember in the fall when we studied James, James talks about resisting the devil and humility in basically the same paragraph, all right? Here, Peter is doing the exact same thing. He's talking about resisting the devil and humility. And I think it's just worth us paying attention to the fact that these first followers of Jesus believed that the attacks of the enemy were somehow connected to this issue of humility. And so very simple observation from this, true for leaders, true for all believers. The real work of spiritual warfare is a journey towards humility. That's what he's saying. The humility is what protects us from the enemy, from the attacks of the enemy. And, uh, you know, the converse is also true. Arrogance is what exposes us to the attacks from the enemy. Humility and victory over the devil, those are 100% tied together. So that's where Peter ends. Leadership, humility, and the devil. That's kind of his parting shot here. So let me ask you this question to apply this. Here's where I think we should go. Who are the spiritual leaders in your life? I don't just mean church leadership. That's certainly what Peter's talking about, but let's broaden that for a second. Who are the people who are influencing the spiritual trajectory of your life? Can I answer that question for you? Um, you didn't ask me to, but I will. Uh, I, I would say this. The voices that you listen to the most, those are the ones that are influencing your spiritual life. I love the old adage, if you want to see your future, look at the five people you spend the most time with because that is what you will become. Can I get on my soapbox for a minute? I know this is an issue you're probably tired of hearing me talk about, but I'm so passionate about it. Um, can I ask a question? If we were to do this in our lives, would one of those five people be the news media? Would one of those five people be social media? Like purely just from a time spent perspective, 
voices speaking into your life? Would those forms of media be one of those? Listen, if it is, those things are shaping us and not in positive ways. Like none of us would look at like Fox News, CNN, or Facebook and be like, yes, those things qualify to be healthy spiritual leaders in my life. We all would say, no way, right? Yet for a lot of us, it is the feed on our phone that is driving what we think about. I know, I know, I know. I kind of sound like an angry old man. Get off my lawn, kids. Um, that's not what I'm trying to do. I, like, I just, I, like we have to wake up to this truth. That there are people, Christian and non-people, non-Christian people, both sides, right? That are constantly getting us riled up. That are constantly feeding the fire of our discontent and frustration. And those people who are getting us riled up, they do not care for us. They are doing that for their own shameful gain, is what Peter calls it. They are doing that because they get something out of it from us. And as believers in this day and age, we have to be, we have to protect our souls from that sort of influence. That doesn't just mean we look out for bad pastors and elders. We should do that also. But it also means we guard ourselves from the sort of spiritual influence that is not rooted in humility. Our souls are at stake in this stuff. And I think that means we watch less news, we read less news, and we pay less attention to social media. It's a self-leadership issue. So that's part of it is we got to protect ourselves, but there's this other side that's the positive side is we need to go out and find good spiritual leaders in our circle influencing our soul. We need to go out and find someone who embodies humility. Find someone who's willing to talk about like how God is breaking them of their pride. Find someone who's willing to talk about how God is redeeming them from their selfishness. Let someone like that influence you. You know, if you want to have a hero, find a hero of humility. Those are the people who will help us see God rightly. Those are the people who will help you connect to this God who ransomed you with his life. That's what a spiritual leader does. It's a good place to end, I think. Um, You remember way back in January, we started this series and we started talking about all these false stories that we tend to carry in our lives. Some of those stories are stories we tell ourselves. Some of those stories might be shaped by our circumstances. Some of those stories are stories that bad leaders have told us or other broken humans have told us. These stories can drive our lives. They can control our lives. They can rob us of life, especially when we embrace them as true. Ultimately, leadership, as as Peter defines it, is intended to help us free us from those stories, to find ourselves in the gospel story, the truest of all stories. But whether we've had good leaders in our lives or whether we have suffered from the missteps of this movement called Christianity, Peter wants us to know one last thing. And I think this is the best place to end. Look at verse 10. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, 
and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, finding spiritual leadership is important. Being a good spiritual leadership is important, but it's not the most important thing because of this, because you have direct access to God. What Peter is saying is God looked at you and loved you enough to not just leave it to chance and to not just entrust your soul to a, a flawed spiritual leader, but he himself is working in your life. He himself is restoring your broken places. He himself is confirming your identity in him and strengthening you and establishing you. That is your true story. You've been ransomed by this God of all grace. Just like, just sit in that for a second, that the God of the universe stoops down into your life because he desires to help you grow up into who he's created you to be. He himself is doing the work. That's how much he loves you. And no church, no earthly leader, no circumstance could ever stop what he himself is doing in you. That's your story. You belong. You're his. And so, God, we, we come to you as your people, not because we've said yes to you, God, but because we recognize that you, you yourself are doing something in us. And that is a promise that we belong to you. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to see the work you're doing in us. Help us to see the ways that you are birthing humility in us. Help us to not resist them. Lord, when we hit the wall in our lives, help us to sit and to rest and to be restored by the God of all grace. Give us this humility that Peter knew so well that he talks about. And in that humility, allow us to resist the enemy's work in our life. We entrust ourselves to you and we humbly say yes to the story that you're writing. Amen.